Hello and welcome to the TLDR News Podcast. I'm joined again today by Rory Taylor, our TLDR writer, and Zach Michaelis, uh, the editor-in-chief. How are you both doing? Yeah, very, very good. good. It's an yeah. exciting day. It is a very yeah. exciting day, isn't it? By-election day, three by-elections. Yeah. Doesn't come that often. No, no. no. So, um, it didn't quite go as expected last night. We'd sort of written a skeleton script uh, for the main UK video. Uh, expecting Labour to take two seats and the Lib Dems to take one. That yeah. wasn't quite what happened. Um, so I think it's probably good if we sort of break them down one by one. Um, I think we should probably start with Uxbridge. Let's get the, the, the big one, the one you've expected one. Uxbridge? I think Uxbridge is the big one, so end with it. No. You want to end with Keep it? Keep people watching. Yeah. Okay. Keep that view time up. Well, because the other one's going to be quite quick. Summerton and Froome. How about that? We'll start with that. Yeah, sure. sure. Well, yeah. Go for it. West Country. West Country, yeah. yeah. So should we just give a very, very brief background as to how the by-election came about? Um, yes. David Warburton, former Conservative MP, resigned after a string of scandals that we don't really need to go that much into detail, yeah. but um, sexual misconduct allegations, cocaine use, various yeah. things. Who doesn't in Parliament these days, apparently? Yeah. Oh, there you go. So he resigned, um, and this seat is in uh, the West Country where... Um, I mean, before the Lib Dems kind of collapsed, it was Lib Dem Tory battleground. And then um, but for the last few elections, it was pretty safely um, conservative. Uh, I think it was a 20,000, 19,000 vote majority at yeah. the last election. Lib Dems overturned that and won massively with 54% of the vote. Um, so their majority now is 11,000. Mm. Um, so... But that yeah. sort of understates it because turnout was a lot lower. Yeah, so yeah, it is a by-election. It's actually, I think, just as big, isn't it? Yeah, massive. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the actual result is effectively an, a, a complete reversal of the 2019 result where last election the Conservatives got 55%, now the Lib Dems got 55% and 26 to 26% as well. Yeah. So, yeah, massive result for them, but it kind of doesn't come as a surprise. They've been proving themselves in by-elections for a long time now. Um, they're You can see they're running out of kind of gimmicks to do after they win. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, that was their one pickup. Yeah. So what what is there anything to really take away from the fact that it was the Lib Dems winning that seat? I know that you said that they were the second party in 2019, uh, which, you know, means that they, they if anyone was to beat the Conservatives in that seat, it was going to yeah. be the Lib Dems. Does this just speak to their ability to win by-elections more than um, anything nationally, do I you mean, think? That is, you know, one of the takeaways is they are very good at by-elections. However, I do think it shows that that whole region is in play again for the Lib Dems. Mm. And it's just another bit of bad news for the Conservatives because they're thinking, you know, they're thinking about the Red Wall. They're thinking about um, rural places. This is now the West Country, Southwest England. They're thinking we could lose a lot of seats here to the Lib Dems. There's, they're battling things on every front now. Um, so I think nationally in a general election, this, you know, this kind of thing can be repeated in yeah. that part of the world. I also find it quite interesting this morning with all, all the news coming out that we've seen a lot from the um, Labour, the new Labour MP for Selby and Ainsty. I haven't seen anything about um, the new Lib Dem MP. Uh, have you got anything there about um, her? I can tell you one fact I saw on Twitter. Okay. So her name is Let's Sarah Dyke and yeah. um, she's a new MP. Apparently it means that now 20% of the Lib Dem's entire parliamentary group is called Sarah. So That's great. That's there you go. That's that. my fact. Yeah. The only other thing I've mentioned about that is the scale of the tactical voting. Mm. So in 2019, Labour got something like 13% of the vote. And in this one, they got only 2%, which does suggest that would-be Labour voters were voting tactically for the Lib Dems. Yeah. And that holds true across all the by-elections we're going to talk about today. And that basically, 
whenever the Lib Dems or Labour, whichever one didn't win or didn't come top of the two yeah. of them, got very low single digits of the votes. And we've seen this in by-elections recently yeah. anyway, yeah. outside of just today. This has been a, it's it's an ongoing accelerating trend. trend. Yeah, and they never, you know, the parties never say, this is how we're going to do it. It's kind of just implicit and yeah. voters left of centre vote, non-Tory voters basically understand that and mm. flock to the candidate they think can win, um, which again, more bad news for the, the government. Yeah, well, sticking on bad news for the government, they lost um, Selby and Ainsty, a constituency in the north, uh, sort of around Leeds. Um, this this was, you know, one of the biggest wins for the opposition party in the last day because this is the biggest by-election um, success for an opposition party in post-war history. So it had a, I think it was a twenty thousand vote majority for the Conservatives mm-hmm. um, in twenty nineteen. That's been that's been overturned this morning. Um, do you know what the majority it was? About four thousand. Yeah, four thousand one hundred and sixty-one. Yeah, so about you know giving Labour a majority of about four thousand, which, which you know it's not a considering it's gone from 20 yeah, to 4,000, it's, it's pretty significant. Swing. It's massive. Yeah, in, in percentage terms, because obviously turnouts are low because it's a by-election. Yeah. So percentage terms, it looks better for Labour. So percentage terms, I'm just reading off your thing. Yeah, Roy, but it's 46% Labour, 34% Conservatives. It's a 12-point lead, which is pretty enormous given that, you know, the last election it was, what, like a 20-point lead for the Tories. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, this is, I mean, I think if this, if we didn't have the Uxbridge result to sort of soften the blow, the yes. Tories, the, the sort of post-event diagnosis would be very, very different. And the Conservatives would be looking at this and thinking, oh, God, that is a terrible swing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's worth saying as well that um, the, the Selby by-election came about because of resignation from Nigel Adams, who's a uh, Boris Johnson um, ally, uh, him not being given a peerage. So he, he was not about that and resigned. Uh, there was a lot of talk by sort of pundits last night about this, what some of them are referring to as like a long Boris effect. Mm. Um, of whether voters are still trying to punish the Conservative Party for the actions of Boris Johnson, whether it be, you know, uh, Partygate or whatever else. Um, I just don't think that Do you think, how much holds. do you think that holds? No, yeah, I don't I think it say. holds up in Uxbridge, though, doesn't it? Because if that was true, no. I mean, it might be true in that particular seat, but clearly Boris Johnson's old seat, the Tories outperformed the expectations there. So I don't know. If There's a really factor in, in it, though. I think it's certainly a factor. I, I think it's just that I local... There's a factor f- in your voting behaviour, but I'm No, sure. I'm saying that in... in um, ULES might have overcome that. But it's also worth saying that in, in Uxbridge, they they might not have lost the seat, but they lost a huge number of votes. Yeah. And I'm saying that part of that is ULES and part of that is probably Boris Johnson as I well. I think the long Boris thing kind of doesn't really hold because... It would, it would only really work as a theory if everything after Boris, the Conservatives had kind of really turned things around, but were still being kind of dragged mm. down by the long Boris stuff. Whereas the the difficulty where the Conservatives are in now is just this continuation from Boris Johnson, you know, into Liz Truss, into Rishi Sunak. Yes. Um, I think, I yeah, I think long Boris is probably the wrong lesson for them to learn okay. uh, from that. I still think that it's, this, I think I, I'm still convinced that it's at least a factor I don't think anyone's arguing that Boris Johnson's like, yeah, previous he, misdemeanors are not like at all it's relevant. It's all the but conservative it's, it's, party yeah, brand, effectively. He damaged it. Liz Truss damaged it. People are reflecting on their 13 years in power, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, let's let's just stick on, on, on Selby for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a, a, a massive victory for Labour. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, the, the candidate, um, Keir Mather, enters Parliament as the youngest MP. Um, there's been some discussion about this, some ridiculous comments from Johnny Mercer this morning, which I'm sure you've both seen. 
So yeah, no, he's the he's the youngest MP. So that's that's been seen this morning as sort of a wing for younger people. You know, the average age in Parliament uh, is about ten years old than the average age in the UK. Mm. So probably representing younger people's interests. So that's just an interesting sort of fact about that yeah. seat. Um, but it's probably worth moving on to Uxbridge and South Ryslip, which is Boris Johnson's old constituency. Because as we said, we did the UK video this morning and that was the one that we incorrectly called. We thought that that would go to Labour and it, it stayed as a Conservative yeah. uh, constituency. Hastily re- hasty rewriting in the morning. Yes, it also yeah. underwent a um, recount. Yeah, I did it. Yeah. Yes, it was a close one. Because it was very close, about 400 votes in the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you want to give some numbers on that, Rory? I can, yeah. Um, so yeah, in the end, uh, conservative majority of four hundred ninety-five. Um, so we'll in percentage terms, I think it's yes, nicely. Yeah, conservatives forty-five percent. Labour actually, I'll be more precise because it's very close. Forty-five point two percent for the conservatives, forty-three point six percent for Labour. So really close. Mm. How does that? Compare However, twenty nineteen, yeah, um, it was thirty-seven point six percent for Labour and fifty-two point six percent for the conservatives so it's basically gone from a 15 point lead to like a one point yeah, lead. yeah yeah so yes the conservatives are celebrating that they won it and labor are probably a bit annoyed they didn't win it but if you just look at the change in in vote share it's it's a big swing towards labor yeah um but still still quite a surprise and also these sort of london seats are the ones that in lots of ways the tories have sort of given up on i mean you yeah. see that in the way they're treating the london mayor election where they just don't really care for their candidate i mean they have it does feel like they've given up on london yeah um, when maybe they shouldn't have, and they're converse. And actually, they've the been spending years saying swing. people in London are out of touch. They're the kind yeah. of metropolitan elite type thing. Yeah, here they are. I think winning. the consensus is here that Ulez, yes. the, the ultra low emission zone, was the deciding thing. Yeah. And we should give a little bit of context here. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Ulez is basically the scheme that was first actually drawn up by Boris Johnson when he was London mayor in sort of like 2014, 2015. Um, that basically means that within a certain bit of central London, if you go in there with a car that's quite old but has really bad emissions, you have to pay basically twelve pound fifty um, to drive around a, a day bit. per day. Mm. Yeah, sure. Um, and it's been slowly expanded. So it was introduced in twenty nineteen. It was expanded to like the north and south circular in twenty twenty one, and it is due to be expanded in August of this year to basically the entirety of Greater London. And this is very very unpopular, especially in places like Uxbridge, because Uxbridge. I mean, often when you think of London seats, you sort of assume they've got like nice public transport, good tube networks. Bucks, which is actually very car dependent, it doesn't mm. have great tube links. Um, and it sits basically, there's the A40 that runs through it, and then it's got the North Circular, I think, at the top of it. Um, and a lot of people there basically thought they just didn't want ULEZ to come through and this, mm. they didn't want to be expanded into Uxbridge. And that was the issue that the Tory candidate focused on. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple of things as well, just to add, which is that. Um, there was I, I, one of the Conservatives talking about this last night was saying that it would affect, a, or was it, well, an MP being interviewed last night said that it would be, it'd affect about 5% of the residents of Uxbridge, um, the, the, the expansion. It's also worth noting that although that seems like a low figure, the people that are generally affected will be generally worse off because there'll be people yeah. with older cars that are more polluting. So there's this sort of question about um, I know that there'll be means testing, that kind of no, thing. No, you're right. There's a question about fairness. But there fairness is a question about fairness with it as well, which, yeah. which, which has been... No, I think you're, you're perfectly right to focus on that. I think another thing, though, by the way, is that a lot of people think they'll be affected by ULES. Far more people think they'll yes. be affected by the ULES scheme than actually will be. So across the entire Greater London, it's something like between 85% and 90% cars already passed the test. So you're right. Even and that's, yeah, But that's, why, yeah, low, that's yeah. why Labour are kind of saying now, and after this result, mm. that they really need to focus on the messaging and how they yes 
put that put the policy across to people. And just just picking up one last thing on on um, something Zach had said about the ULEZ as well is for international views, it, it can sometimes be misunderstood that the centre of London as being all of London and the idea that you can hop on a tube or a bus and get anywhere. Bucksbridge is not central London. So as you say, they, people there still mm. do rely on cars to get to work, etc. you know, and, 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 and drive around. It's not, it, it, London's a very big place. Yeah. Not all of London is central London and Uxbridge is not in central London. Other, so it's a, it's, a, it's a relevant detail to the constituency. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I'm mentioning, I'm always thinking, so Labour are right to say that they have to focus on the messaging here because there's a couple of things that are, the Conservatives have very successfully weaponised this, despite the fact that obviously it started off as a Boris Johnson policy. But more pertinently, it was the, the rapid expansion of ULEZ, which is ahead of the original schedule, was something that was forced on Sadiq Khan by Grant Shapps back when they had that TfL funding settlement. Yes back in 2020. So TfL is like the London transport network. And unlike basically transport networks, public transport networks in most major metropolitan areas across Europe, it's mainly funded by itself. So it doesn't receive that much subsidy from the national government. Um, and Grant Shapps said, well, when it was running out of money over the pandemic, because obviously there was no one traveling, Grant Shapps said, if you want money, then part of this deal is you have to expand this more quickly than you would otherwise like to, to Sadiq Khan, who's the Labour mayor of London. Um, so obviously this was forced upon Sadiq Khan by Grant Shapps, but it's also worth saying that DEFRA, so the just, government department, one second, mm. has its own air quality plan, yeah? And the ULEZ is just a means to meet those targets that are set by the national government. Yeah. So if you don't want ULEZ, you still have to find a way to meet those DEFRA I targets. I think the, same, the government itself has to ditch those targets. The same thing happened in Manchester where Andy Burnham, another Labour mayor, you know, it's his duty, you know, under effectively the law to to cut pollution in the city and improve air quality and you know they have to come up with these schemes to do it and i think it's time the opposite the other party fights back it's just worth saying again for international viewers that grant shapps is a conservative and was the conservative minister so the fact that the conservative minister had forced this on labor and are now trying to pitch this as it's a labor thing i mean to be yeah to be clear like sadiq khan is very pro expanding ulez like it is it's his thing you know it's not like he's kind of Begrudgingly but doing for the it, Conservatives you know. to stand to one side and say we've had nothing to do with this and we're the party of mm. scrapping or stopping ULEZ or whatever is just disingenuous. It's, yeah, and the point is mainly about comms here. That's the point I'm trying to make is that they didn't fight back on those terms. Yeah. So they let the Conservatives hack them on it and then they were sort of very hesitant of making the active case for ULEZ, for ULEZ or pointing out that the Conservatives slightly pushed it on them. And there's, I think what's interesting is to see how both Labour and the Conservatives respond to this event because... I think what will probably happen, so Sunak will now be under pressure to basically take a more sort of anti-net zero line. Yeah, because Tory MPs will be looking at this and be like, okay, the the wedge issue for us, the way we can win back votes against Labour in the polls is to focus on climate politics, controversial climate policies. And there will be a contingent within the parliamentary party who wants Sunak to basically move away from the sort of pro-net zero position that was occupied by Boris Johnson towards a more sort of like net zero sceptic, more sort of like what you might call like American right wing mm. position on climate politics. And what I worry about is that I think that that happens, that that would be a mistake for Sunak electorally, because I don't think that actually this is going to work at the national level. I think this worked very specifically in Uxbridge. Mm. Uh, I don't think it'll work at the national level. And also because I think that if he tries to move a little bit to the right on climate issues, that bit the parliamentary party will just tear him all the way to the right. So, you know, it'll start expressing a bit of skepticism about like the ULEs and maybe some of the net zero stuff. And you'll end up with, I don't know, like Suella Braverman or Pretty Patel saying that we should start tearing down wind farms or something like that. Mm. Um, but I worry about how the Labour Party is going to react to this because there's a, there is a sort of trend going back in European politics about when there's some sort of pushback against climate policies, 
politicians get very, very scared for a very, very long time about trying any more climate policies. And I worry that the takeaway for Keir Starmer is going to be that climate policies are unpopular. Therefore, we just shouldn't do them. You saw it a little bit already when he said that he was going to delay his sort of uh, green transition plan. It was going to cost something like 20 billion. And he said that actually we've got to delay it for a couple of years to basically match the Tory spending plans. Um, And I think that that is just the wrong lesson to learn. I think the lesson to learn here is what you actually pointed out originally, which is that the, the tra- tra- green transition politics are difficult. Net zero politics mm. are difficult. But what is particularly toxic is when they feel unfair. And this is a really good example of that, which is that you're right. The ULED scheme, it does affect poor people most because they're more likely to have basically old cars that are high emitting. And there is a scrappage scheme, which means that it's supposed to yeah. sound like some of that unfairness, but it's not very generous. And TfL also argue that poor people are already most affected by high emissions. So actually reducing emissions in the aggregate benefits poor people most but that doesn't really fly like if it doesn't it doesn't matter if like your air quality is getting slightly better if you're still a couple of thousand pounds worse off and you're a poor person in the cost of living crisis mm. um and this is sort of what happened in france with the gilet jaune which is when the gilet jaune fought back against the rise in petrol prices and again that hurts poor people most because they spend more of their disposable income as a total fraction of their income on petrol and the lesson that french politics and french political class learned from that experience was that climate policies are unpopular, so we just don't do them. But actually, a lot of polling that has been done retrospectively on the Gilets jaunes suggests that it was mainly about fairness. It wasn't an intrinsic dislike of climate policies, and most people doing the Gilets jaunes protest were actually going to, went on to vote for Jean-Luc Mélenchon in the presidential elections. And it was actually more about fairness and about how climate policies, when they end up having, basically making poor people poorer, that's what people really mm. don't like. There's this real sense of unfairness that, like, we didn't cause the global warming. We didn't, you know, take all the private jets to cause the emissions. And now we're being punished by it. And so that's what I, that's why I think this is really, really interesting, because there is this recurring theme and there's this very predictable reaction that politicians have to climate controversies. But I think it's the wrong reaction. And I think that the the sort of flip side of that that sort of hesitant reaction, you know, the, what, what I think Kistama is going to do, just to be like, oh, we can't do climate politics because it's too controversial, is is just means that you're not going to make the green transition. Mm. You're not going to make it to net zero. And surely that has to still be a political priority. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think the only way to square that circle is to make sure that any future climate policies that get us to net zero have to be accompanied by a sort of redistributive element to make sure that well, they feel fair. It'll be interesting as well because, you know, w- with a majority that slim of 400 and something votes... You know, the next time that seat is up for election, which should be probably next year, um, it'll be interesting to see how the vote changes. Because it's not like, the, you know, a lot of the framing this morning because of the expectation management before is that Labour haven't done mm. well enough today. And they might be feeling like that, but it is still in, you know, they're only 400 and something votes away from having a Labour MP in that yeah. seat. And obviously the ULES thing is very relevant now because it's expanding in, you know, next month. So... It's, it's incredibly relevant at the moment, but, but by the time of the next general election, that won't be as much of a factor, I, I would argue. I mean, it might still be, but that it could still go it, it could still go Labour, and it'll be interesting to see how the parties respond to that and how voters, more importantly, act next year. Um, to- I think you're right. So I think it will go Labour at the actual mm. general election because I think national things will apply more than local things like ULES. But I do think that the, the climate politics thing will become 
you know, how politicians do climate politics is like the big question yeah, for the next course. decade I, or so. Yeah, I think I think the government will learn that they can use the kind of ULEZ climate stuff as a kind of wedge issue to win. But I, I'm skeptical. I'm hopeful at least that Keir Starmer won't do that. Won't kind of backtrack more on on his green pledges. But you know, we'll wait and see. But because I, I think I think Labour obviously are disappointed in the Uxbridge result, but in general, I think they can. I hope behind the scenes they look at the swing and think actually we made a huge lot of progress here. This was a seat that wasn't even won by Labour in '97. Like, it, it, their their big flaw was their expectation management, effectively. Mm. So I don't. I think behind the scenes Labour can can celebrate it as a victory, even though they obviously didn't win the seat. So if you think about it, if you lose a seat by 400 votes versus if you win a seat by 400 votes, uh, obviously the optics are very very different. Mm. However, the actual swing is effectively the same. Yeah. You've done that. You know you've still done that well um so i hope that is kind of what they're looking at rather than just oh we lost Plus, so it's it, if it does go labor next time there's only going to be a tory mp in that seat for a, a year year and a bit mm. so it's, it's not like they have to wait five years to have another crack at the yeah taking the constituency labor in quite a fortunate position they don't have to wait that long and also i think john curtis said it um the the real trend if you look at the three by-elections the the drop in the vote share for conservatives across all three is consistent with the polling that we see at the moment which suggests mm. a big labor majority um so the lesson isn't all oh, they didn't manage to overturn this seven thousand vote majority therefore they might not be able to win the next election exactly. it's they actually they saw a massive collapse in the conservative vote and won over a lot of voters so they are still on course to what what we expect will be a labor victory i don't want to say mm. i don't want to predict things and get it wrong again but um that's john curtis not me so professor okay. sir john curtis professor yeah. john curtis exactly um well it's all very interesting anyway and it's 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 one of those days where everything feels a little bit chaotic and it's very mm. interesting and um yeah it's good fun yeah yeah that was good and we've got I some like more it, yes. by-elections still to come we do yeah. yeah we'll be doing this again very soon not for three in a day but do we have there's not even a double is there no, no. i think okay. the two singles are disappointing yeah but I'm sure we'll do something like this again and we'll be dissecting that. So, uh, yeah, yeah. we should commit now to next week. We'll do a podcast next week as well. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Sure. <laughs> well, having that, you're, you're, we're going to embed this in the actual podcast itself so that we're forcing ourselves to do it. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do so we don't end up yeah, just lazily missing another week. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Nice. Next week, everyone. I was on holiday. This is not my fault. <laughs> okay. <laughs>